I'm at the Red House with Jacob and Isaac Rudolph. Thank you guys for coming over. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a been a while coming. Thanks. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, I learned of you guys from the Triad Business Podcast. That was kind of like my first introduction. Well, not actually my first introduction to you. That was uh, what I just thought it'd be fun to do, like kind of a, a mm-hmm. podcast collab with you. Did you, you say guys. the Triad Business Podcast? Sorry, what is your what is your? Okay, I didn't know if somebody else had said. Uh, there's like, a lot of Winston. I was like, somebody talked about uh, the Winston Salem Winston Salem Winston Salem Business Podcast. You said Sorry about that. There might be something called the Triad Business Podcast. So I was well, like, did somebody feature us? I'm not sure. I'm on the Triad Podcast Network, and so maybe I noticed. That was just I wanted to ask in my head actually. So yeah. yeah. So anyway, sorry for miss. That's fine. That's Miss fine. Yeah. stating that, but the Winston Salem Business yes. Podcast, yep. yeah. So that's how I first kind of thought to feature you guys, but then mm-hmm. turned out you and I had met each other previously. As yeah, we were just very briefly, about. very briefly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay. So uh, I don't want to come across as if I have done my research when really you guys did the research for me and just kind of got me up to speed on everything. But <laughs> you were just giving me your rundown of your history, mm-hmm. sort of as brothers, as entrepreneurs, and as people doing yep. things in the Winston Salem area. So uh, you want to just give the audience a quick kind of rundown of, of that same brief history? Yeah, sure. So um, it all started out uh, as a YouTube channel. We had this idea to, we grew up in an amazing childhood. Uh, we grew up spending a lot of time outdoors, uh, you know, building things, um, building, you know, big fort in our backyard with all the kids in the neighborhood. We build wooden swords and have these, you know, battles that wage across the entire neighborhood. Uh so we started this YouTube channel to make content themed around kind of that sort of stuff in hopes to get uh, kids back outside and get their parents involved, you know, get families doing activities uh, like that outside together. So, uh, yeah, we started this YouTube channel, you know, opening social media pages to, to promote it. We started a website, writing blog posts, all that sort of stuff. Um, and as we were doing that, we were just putting our heart, heart and soul into it, trying to make it to be the, the highest quality as possible. Um, you know, as we were doing that, the people around us who owned their own businesses, my father-in-law owns his business. We have friends who have like plumbing companies, that sort of thing. They're like, Hey, I see what you're doing with all this video production, social media stuff. Can you help me? You know, I have a little project with my business. So, you know, we said yes to a couple logos, uh, said yes to a couple promo videos, helping people with their social. And, you know, we kept saying yes to that sort of stuff. And eventually it just kind of justified becoming its own thing. Mm -hmm. So it started with Fort in the woods, uh, you know, that became uh, our agency called Siege Engine Creative. Um, and that's where we do um, all that stuff that we're just talking about for other businesses, uh, among other things maybe we'll get into. But, uh, and then eventually, yeah, we, so we just, just this uh, growing love of business and just helping people come up with ideas to promote themselves. Uh, we had this idea for this podcast to focus uh, on businesses in Winston. And we just kind of want to become a resource for, uh, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs in Winston. So we're having, you know, the successful business people in Winston come on our show and we're trying to pick their brains and just ask them good questions, good leading questions. So hopefully uh, the people who want to start their own business or want to grow their own business can pull insight and inspiration from it and hopefully apply it to what they're trying to do. So I think over the last uh, seven, eight years, we've made enough mistakes that were easily avoidable mm-hmm. had we talked to the right person. We yep. want to streamline that and try to make it so people could find the right person to talk to in a more efficient manner and save themselves a lot of headache, um, heartache, money loss, you know, whatever. I just, we just want to be able to help mm-hmm. help people out. So the show's been really good for us too because we're getting a good excuse to to talk to yeah, these people who are further brain. along than we are. And yeah, to, which is great. Have some questions. And so we're doing the show. We're learning. And hopefully the people that can just kind of listen in on the conversation uh, – 
they'll be taking away the same things that we are from it. So yeah. I want to elaborate a little bit on Fort in the Woods and, and why that turned into what it did. Mm-hmm. We were fortunate enough that when we were younger, our mother and father, you know, kicked us out of the house and said, go outside and play, mm-hmm. be creative. There's not a lot. I mean, there were rules, but for the most part, we were allowed to experiment um, and be creative. And we were instilled with an adventurous spirit. And now we're taking that thing that we love, this kind of adventurous creativity, packaging it into something that can be turned into a business. And we're essentially promoting it to other people so that they can dive in and then reap the benefits as well because it's been instilled in us for a long time. And now it's almost intuitive being creative. It's like making video and telling stories and, uh, you know, I don't know, sh- sharing the joy of what we're doing with people. Mm-hmm. So when we go to work with a business or do a podcast, we dive into it wholeheartedly. We get to know the people that run it, why they run it. Like we, we want to know their family. Like, why does it matter to them? Um, and that might be something that I think sometimes is missing from business is that the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you kind of took it to that place. Cause that's exactly what I want to unpack a little mm-hmm. bit more to start out with. Like, it's interesting that your story has this starting point of the outdoors of this, mm-hmm. like kind of familial impact mm-hmm. and stuff. This it's a value. It sounds like mm-hmm. a value that's like the, like contrary to modernity and technology or whatever it's like get being outside and enjoying nature or enjoying time outside it's mm-hmm. interesting that that's like a big part of your starting point what like why do you think that had such an impact that it's like that it's turned into this thing that that you've kept with you in your business story I, why is like the the like the creativity like wanting to push that like get other people to participate in that or or the outdoor nature of like, it? the outdoor nature of it i think i think um the well i think the outdoors um, being outside removes all constraint. You're in a fresh, you're in, it's a, um, a fresh canvas, essentially. You don't have constraints of technology or a building. You're essentially in whatever. You, you, there's really no constraints. You have materials to work with, and it's very basic. And if you're able to be creative and build something out of that, then, and, I mean, I guess how to execute in that environment, you can then go into any environment and create if you're literally given a stick and a rock and you can make something cool out of it, mm-hmm. then if you're given some paint, then you could really do something. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like this great training ground, especially Ooh. when you're starting out, when you're like, I don't know, you're 10 and 13 and you have a group of guys around you and everybody's like, I'm going to outdo every other guy in the neighborhood and make the coolest thing that I can think of. I mean, we were, we would be standing in our front yard and a kid would come rolling around the corner. You would hear it from like half a mile away. It, this one guy in the neighborhood, he stripped all the tires off of this aluminum garden cart, got some wood, a piece of pipe, strapped it together, and he made a gigantic seven-foot-wide crossbow. And I was standing in my yard, and I heard him rumbling down the street. And I was like, what is that noise? He comes tearing around the corner. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Immediately, what do we have to do? We all get together, and we're like, we're going to outdo him. Mm. We're going to do something cool. And it's a <laughs> continuous race to be more creative and inventive. So you take that mindset. And then you go and you build a team and you all work together mm-hmm. you work for a client. It's extremely fun. So as, as I was saying before, right before we got rolling, we would take this stuff that we did as kids and like kind of revisit that idea now that we're adults and we'd be like, how can we do it bigger or better? Mm. So I'll show it to you real quick. Cause it, YouTube gets rid of the thumbnail once you like scroll back over, but we built, that was one of our video topics. Oh yeah. That's so, epic. Yeah. Took like a giant, like three quarter inch or it's, I guess bigger than that. It was like an inch and a half PVC pipe. 
that was like eight feet across and attached it to a log and made a giant crossbow out of it. And <laughs> all this stuff is a little wacky. It's it's a little weird. So we've had hurdles to, to jump over through this whole process. You have the neighbor that complains, you know, like uh, Dennis the Menace. We were Dennis the Menace. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, the, the neighbor next door to us did not care for our antics. I don't, I don't think she. <laughs> and you also get business feedback from people. You know, people are like, what are you doing? People make fun of you. Like, this is, this is, it is weird. I, I will say from like, from a branding perspective, like this is something I've been big on is like, you know, getting our message. And also we have these two other ventures we're doing, figuring out how they all like kind of coexist and run alongside each other uh, has been interesting. But this is something that you've been saying from the beginning. Like Jacob has always seen the value in, you know, like growing up as kids, like having permission to just be very creative and live out our imagination. Obviously, that mindset has carried over into our career. So now like we get to have creativity and making videos and making things for people as our career. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big thing that he's pushing. Like it's not just about being outside. It's about like it's for him, I think it's always been not not to say that you're like you don't care about the outdoors part, but like mm-hmm. the creativity and like pushing the creativity on on parents and kids mm-hmm. and saying like let your kids be creative. That's always been very big for him. Yeah, I think because we were because our parents didn't want it. Yeah, I I got my first video game system. I think when I turned thirteen, mm-hmm. I got a PS2, and it was already like the PS3 was already out when I got my first like the PS2. Yeah, uh, so it's like we had like little computer games and stuff, but we would get like thirty minutes of computer game time a day, something like that. And other than that, it was just like you know go find something to do outside. So. Um, but yeah, like that's always been his mindset is, you know, like this stuff, you know, like your kids are outside playing, doing creative things, but that has an application in the real world. If you can exercise that creative muscle and really encourage that on your kids, like there might, it might provide opportunities for them, Mm -hmm. for them later. I've got another Um, spin on that. You want to talk about building a resilient team. He and I growing up together with some of the other guys we've worked with, there's been instances where he and I go and take some kayaks and rope them together, grab a bed sheet. And this is us as 16 year olds duct taping it to our paddles and sailing out into the Pamlico sound in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And a storm blows up and his boat starts filling with water and I'm helping bail his boat out. And we're like the houses on the horizon are kind of getting tiny and we're on an adventure and we weren't necessarily supposed to be out there. Maybe it was stupid and dumb. So here we are, (laughs) I'm making sure his boat's not going to sink. The wind's blowing and the storm blows over. And it was kind of like a metaphor for for business. Yeah. But (laughs) you want to talk about like, as we get older, I mean, that's a, it's it's a different environment, but at this point we still have each other's back to a degree. We've pulled each other out of tough spots. You know, I've literally cut him with a machete before accidentally. It wasn't like doing cocks. Yeah. Just, just like, you know, accidents happen or whatever. And we've gotten in like, you know, mock fights or we've accidentally busted each other up a couple times and we've been through it. And that definitely helps. I think on the other side as we've gotten older working together because people are like, how do you work with your brother? I'm like, Oh, well we've already gotten all the people ask that question a lot. And it's yeah. like, honestly, yeah. people, people don't have, um, I guess people have different relationships with their, their siblings, but mm-hmm. like we do get that a lot. It's um, one of those cliches people say about yeah. like, don't work with your friends. Don't work with your your family, you know, same thing. So I mentioned, uh, a moment ago, my, my father-in-law owns a business. So, uh, before, before my wife and I got married and for a time after we got married, we were both working for him. I worked in his warehouse and did deliveries for him and she worked in the office and people would say the same thing. They're like, how do you work? To you? Like I drive, if I worked with my wife, it would drive, drive me crazy. I like, I would, we'd kill each other, but it's like, we never had a problem with it. I loved it. It's like, I'd do my deliveries in the morning, try to like rush back so we could have lunch together. And then like, 
It's never a problem. I That's enjoyed super it. Cool. I enjoyed it. Now it's like, I kind of hate it. It's like we, you know, that was two or three years ago. It's like, we haven't worked together since. And it's like, I don't see her as much. Yeah. So, um, I love it. So what is the dynamic like with your collaboration? Like, like you were talking about Jacob likes creativity. Mm -hmm. Where does that put you? And how do you guys like, uh, you can talk about whether it was when you were kids or now. I wonder what the dynamic is like when you start, start to approach a project and sort of try to collaborate. Um, yeah, that is a good question. I would say it's like, I don't know. Usually it works. It works pretty good. I would say like we, we butt head sometimes and sometimes like, you know, we get worked up about stuff and have to like wade through things. I would say, tell me if you don't think this is fair. Okay. So if you have like a, the split between like analytical and creative, I think both of us are, are both, but maybe if, if we could split it into percentages, I would say maybe he's like 80% creative, 20% analytical. And I might just be the reverse, mm. maybe six, maybe like 70, yeah. 30, 60, yeah, 40, I, yeah. 80, 20 might be a little strong, but I would say he probably leans a little bit more towards the creative little less towards the analytical and I'd be the opposite. It's like, I, I still like to think of myself as a creative person. I, I love making videos and whatnot and coming up with goofy ideas. Um, but I know I, I get a little bit more into the, to the spreadsheets and the math and the, mm -hmm. the tactics and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. See, I'm the one who says like, let's build a trebuchet that launches fire across the yard. And he's the one who's like, okay, that's awesome. Let's figure out how much timber we need. Uh -huh. Let's figure out those angles and how much it's going to cost. And I'm thinking about those things, but like you said, it's only like 30%. I'm like, let's just, let's just yeah. do something cool and figure out the, I'm, I'm going to figure out the money, but let's do it. Let's do it later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which can be, which can get us in trouble. But I'm also at the same time, the one who's going to randomly call somebody up because I'm just kind of like, Hey, let's work together. And then we get a big project, mm -hmm. but then he's going to come at it with a much more tactical mindset and play a long game over four or five months and get a job. That is, I mean, that's the dynamic I hear about in a lot of successful business partnerships, whether they're family or not, is like somebody who seems to be, and I, it's interesting because I think, I don't know, if, I don't know if you guys have uh, been in different roles with other ventures that you've been a part of, but like I notice as an artist versus as a manager, I used mm -hmm. to manage a business or whatever, and like those are two different hats for me, but I can do both yes. of them. But like, uh, I can't do, I can't do both of them in one entity. And it seems like in a business, okay. there's often a person who's like responsible for imagining where the business can go. Mm -hmm. And then another person who's responsible for making sure they get there, uh, in a, in a responsible way hmm. or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Normally you do see that divided up. It's like, I think they refer to, it's like the visionary and then like the one who mm -hmm. actually, actually can execute it. And again, I think like we kind of bounce back and forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, that between that. I don't know if we have that. We don't really have that defined. Yeah, like that's who's, cool. Who's what? Um, no, because like, like for instance, you could say sometimes I think I'm like, oh, let's work on Fort in the Woods or let's really push for a certain type of client. And then you're like, we got to pump the brakes and make sure we have balance. But then we'll flip it. Like with the podcast, it's like you want to go full force with the podcast mm -hmm. sometimes. And I'm like, we got to dampen it and make sure we pace ourselves. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's totally flip. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's how I like, I, as an artist, it's like I'm the visionary part mm -hmm. but then when i was managing that business it was like i was i'm not that i'm the person who has to like count how many things we've lost mm -hmm. or whatever see i i see them as i see them as very much connected it's so like this is something i've had a conversation with a friend of mine um been friends with them since high school for years and years we've talked back and forth about that he's a musician and he says although he's like i'm not i'm not a businessman i'm not a businessman it's like i just want to do my art but if like if you want to do something as a living, 
like you got to figure out the business side of it. And that's something like we've talked about a lot where he like, they've been trying to get something off the ground for some time. And I'm like, if, if you want to be a professional musician, you have to learn to market yourself. Yeah. It's like, which is, the, and that's a business skill. It's like, you can't, you can't just make what you want to make and expect people to just yeah, find it and come to you. It's like, it, it has to be marketable. Um, yeah, it's like you got to figure out a way to get out in the world. You got to give give the people what they want. Some you don't want to compromise like what you're making, but it's like at some point, it's like if you want to get paid to do something, you have to be doing something that people want to pay you for. So that was something uh, when I used to do like the sculpture and stuff downtown. Mm-hmm. It's like I had to figure out. Um, it's like I used to make a lot of those like cyborg cool robots, the glowing eyes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like eventually I realized like they were super cool, but no one was going to buy them. Or not many people were going to buy. Hmm. I had to do the fish and the portraits of people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I was curious. I was I was watching the episode with Josh. Uh, I, I can't recall his last name. A big beard. And, uh, Red beard? No, black beard. Black beard. There's Josh Shelton. Josh, Josh Ling. Shelton. I, I Josh was Shelton. The conversation with Josh Shelton. I think you guys were talking a little bit about the arts. And uh, what was your history in the arts in Winston? Like pr- before. What before like aperture okay um yeah so i mean when i was mm, when i was 19 i started pursuing music Mm -hmm. and when i was about 20 about to turn 21 was when i started playing downtown i started performing first and like started playing at cranky's back in the day something about a taco bell right i did yeah back in like before that i used to play at a taco bell and king the one that's attached to the exxon or used to be now it's a hibachi somewhere like i saw that and i was like how did you know that 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 could even be done that's super cool that you like you leveraged that and went from there to all the other places you've gone so how did that come about well, uh, uh, my guitarist at the time worked there. And so he was like, he had it in his head that it was a good idea. So he talked to the people that worked there. Actually, this was before then. He had a cousin that worked there. At the Taco Bell? At the Taco Bell. So his cousin was like, yeah, y'all should like play here on Tuesday afternoons. It was not a smart idea at all. But uh, Have you seen the meme of the, the people doing the metal show at... At Denny's, Denny's. He's like, What's what the up, fuck Denny's? is up, yeah. Denny's? Yes, it's exactly that. <laughs> Only we weren't nearly great. as enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, so it started at the Taco Bell playing Tuesday afternoons or something. Then my buddy started working there, so then that was weird. Um, mm. No benefit to doing that. My my joke has been like they didn't pay us, but at least we got to play pay full mm-hmm. price for food because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't even give us a discount or anything. Wow, uh, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So then we started, th- then I, I remember there was a coffee shop like in the next mini mall and we went and started playing there. And I like, for me, that was like, I thought that was a huge fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started playing an open mic first and then they started booking us on weekends that turned into crankies that turned into the garage and that turned into playing all the bars. And then through my relationship, like actually with uh, Tucker Tharp. Uh, through my relationship with him, I ended up kind of in a network that landed me a booking mm. agent and resulted in me playing outside of Winston. Mm. That's cool. So it went from performer, strictly performer, to like this other mentality that mm-hmm. whether whether we talk about it today or on your podcast, I the 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 entrepreneurship of the artist is kind of interesting and weird mm-hmm. because it's so scattershot and mm-hmm. so like don't know what I'm doing. No such thing as metrics involved. No predictions. It's mm-hmm. just like, try to find where the money is and yeah. ask people for it. Yeah. And see how much it'll be. 
So I, I do, I do want to save some of this for our show because like, like I said, we try to get into like the tactics, uh, that people are actually doing to like push their thing forward. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said, so two thoughts come to mind. So either you need to figure out how, if you want to like, just do it on your own, either you need to find a way to, to like split your brain where you're applying, you know, you're maintaining the artistry, but then applying some of it to the business to make it, make it happen. If you just want to do art for the sake of doing art, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if, if, uh, if you want to try to make a living at it, you just have to figure it out. So either you need to figure it out on your own or you need to find somebody willing to help you and like yeah. share in the success. So I've heard people say there was actually a fifth member of the Beatles you never hear about, but he was like their manager and he made it happen without that fifth guy. And like, I don't even know his name. Um, without that fifth guy, like the Beatles would have never, never been. Uh, I believe that completely, man. And I'm, I'm like, I'm actually desperate to find somebody to manage my mm -hmm. effort right now. Cause mm -hmm. I just, it's, it's hard to do both. It's really hard yeah. to wear both hats in a single thing. And some people are really great at it. I think, uh, it, the, the little bit I know about him, I think an artist like Garth Brooks is really great at it. Mm. Like he's, he involves himself in every single aspect of what mm -hmm. he puts mm -hmm. out there in the world. Of, you know, Eric church. Oh yeah. He has a marketing degree. Really? Yeah. He went to college for marketing. Interesting. Cause, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. interesting yeah. Uh, i want to hear wait, wait, what's i want to hear this what, interesting because he sure as fuck didn't go for singing i know that much <laughs> i like eric actually uh, i think he's he stands out to me as a higher quality of artist in mainstream country yeah. but he sings like a sewer rat he's sing like it's always like sneaky sounding yeah, like that's this good, yeah, very right. that's a good, a good impression. uh i used to like eric church a lot more than I do now. I will say that. Then you found out too much about him. And then it's just undermined, I think, your perception of him. I get well, I don't know. It's just like I maybe I just found I found stuff I You've talked a lot about how country know. music is very pandering. Like and I it, think he it definitely is. panders you, to the audience. And then you. yeah, so and then knowing that he has a degree in marketing, once you start uh are you familiar with Bo Burnham? Yeah. Bo Burnham. Oh, so yeah. he has that song about that is called pandering where he's like making fun of country artists and he's just like throwing, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? I think so. So he, he's just throwing in all the country music cliches and just like, it's, it's so true. It's like, yeah, they're just, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not big again, on it. It comes down to like the art or your heart. Like you attach to music because yeah. you're like, ah, they, they kind of like relate to me. But if the relation is actually fake and it's just fabricated, then you're like, that's what the, that's what yeah. Bo Burnham's song is about. Uh -huh. It's like it says. Uh, I think there's a there's one line where he's like, uh, "I walk and talk like a field hand, or I like walk and dress like a field hand, but the boots I'm wearing cost three grand, something like that." I'm like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you're you're playing you're playing a character that. Oh um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just like modern modern country. I'm not big on it. I know you're talking. Um, you had Adonis on. Yeah, I mean, you guys were talking about this. I listed. Um, I bet you yeah. about this every time I can. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. It's like this is this is my favorite thing to complain about. We're the I, same I hate, boat for sure. I hate pop country so yeah. much. Like in the in the 2010s, like what was playing on country radio radio is decent. There were some annoying songs on there, but it was still mostly it was mostly okay. But since then, it's just like it's not even country anymore. Now it's now it's pop music with a southern accent. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's not even that. Um, if you want good country music, it's like you got to listen to like there's there's more. French stuff. It's like you know, it's it's becoming less and less. Underground. I totally thought you said French. 
No, French, not French. Not French no, no, country. No. You don't go to the French. You go actually. You go to you go to Canada <laughs> if you want. Col- Coulter Wall. Do you know Coulter? Oh Wall? yeah. Coulter Wall is, is he's a the badass. Best, the best yes. country has offer. He's from Canada. Yep. So, Indeed. So uh, for Christmas, my wife got me. She's like, I got you something that you didn't know you want, but you'll really like it. <laughs> so uh, I opened it. It was a record player. So mm-hmm. I got this Victrola record player. Oh hell and yeah! I was like, this is cool. I was like, I don't have any records. And then I opened up the second gift. It was a Coulter Wall album. Songs Heck of the yeah. Plains Sick. on Von. I think that was his second album. He's Maybe cool as hell. He is. There so are weird. some outskirt artists like him. And even like Midland is a weird one because, Midland. I don't, dude, they're like, I don't know Midland. they're cool as shit. Okay. And they have to look that up. They do that song, um, People Say I Got a Drinking Problem. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Mm-hmm. That ain't no reason no. to stop. If uh, it's playing on country radio, then I, I think that one's radio. kind of a hit. But they're interesting because they kind of they dress like a mid '90s band mm. and they act kind of like a mid '90s country band. Mm. And some all their shit sounds kind of throwback to that era. Very clever songwriting and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they just like party hard, and mm. they I think they lean into the fact that they're living out a persona. Mm-hmm. And that was like what I was going to mention when you were talking about Eric Church. What frustrates me about art in general is this thing where people are insistent that they're living this real culture. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Brad Paisley comes to mind. He's like, he's the arbiter of like the real culture of being Southern mm-hmm. and he's telling you about it. Mm-hmm. The mere every man that like mm-hmm. is listening to the radio. He's the one telling you what it means to be Southern. Yes. And and they're wearing costumes and shit. And yeah. they're like, come from money. And yeah. they are, I mean, I heard Jason Aldean say on the radio one time that he uh, doesn't mow his own yard. That's another guy I can't, I can't stand. I, I, it's like, when he first came out, I was like, cool voice. Mm-hmm. But he is a little annoying. This, he had, so, he had a couple cool songs. Uh, this, I think, but I, yeah, I get, yeah. I think the cycle, what happens with these guys is like, maybe they, they do come from an authentic place. Some of them, but it's like, um, Luke Bryan, is that the right one I'm thinking of? So it's like when Luke Bryan first hit the scene, like his first first one or two albums, they seemed good. But like now I cannot stand his music. It's like... Oof. Does it come Can't down to scalability? Is it like the point where they that's start to too valuable? That's what it is. Somebody starts, like they start to get some traction, they start to take off, and then some you know guy in a suit somewhere is like, we can sell this. And then they scoop them up, and they repackage it and polish it up, and then they, uh, see, then you've got, they generalize it. But you have people like... Now, I haven't listened to his music recently, but he lasted quite a while. Like Josh Turner, mm-hmm. I think, like Josh Turner had a lot of good stuff that lasted for quite a while. Yeah, I don't he, know your opinion on it, but Josh Turner is an outlier. Like I think he's he stayed true to himself somehow. Um, now he's probably made less money and gotten he's not, not as big as. I haven't listened to his stuff like in probably like his eighth album. He put out he put out like a just a straight gospel album, which was like he had already had like a, a big career. He's already a big name in country music. He's still playing on the radio. And then he just but put see, out like he's a not, gospel. He's not big front facing. Well, that's what I was about to say. He's on Nashville strip. You don't see a restaurant with no, his name. Exactly. And he probably could have been that if he had chosen, but he mm-hmm. decided to say small. So to, to kind of go back to like the marketing and the, like the tactics and whatnot, mm-hmm. this, this is true. I think with when you're trying to grow anything, especially something content based, you know, it's like you start niche and then you, as you get a following, and people start to, you have some name recognition, you can get away with more and more and more, and then you can broaden out. That's the same thing that's happened with this country stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Luke Bryan puts out one or two albums where he's like very country, and then they're like, oh, we can sell this. We got to make you more general and polish you up and make you more palatable to, you know, more of the population. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I try not to hold these guys too much accountable to this idea, this notion of authenticity, because they're free to like capitalize on a caricature yeah, of, course, of yeah. Southerners if they want to. It's just, but what we were talking about is kind of that. It's like they, we have this sense that we're supporting this person within a reality that's like, their reality is that we have this cultural thing in common that we're like from the South and yeah. that we like know what it means to be, uh, to, to, to wear Justin boots or something and like to mow your own yard, you know, little normal life things. Yeah. And, uh, and then they get so far apart from that, but yeah. still continue to sort of be a symbol for that. And it's mm-hmm. like, bro, you got more in common with like, you got more in common with like fucking I don't know who People with like Hollywood. our yeah, Ariana like, Grande yeah, at this exactly. point. And then they end up eroding. Me. They end up unintentionally eroding the culture that made them popular in the first place because then they start having high level influence. Yeah, and I don't want to say like corrupting it, but they do water it down and uh, contaminate it. Not to mention the you, perspective that changes so much. Yeah, you, you want to hear my conspiracy theory on this? Oh, you know I do. That, so <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to say like. I'm not a very conspiratorial guy, but I like like playing with stuff, you know, just like thought experiments, I guess. So anything like conspiratorial that I say like this, I'm not committing to this. I'm not saying I actually think this. Gotcha. But it's fun to, what if, you know, it's just fun. So Mike, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I'm just, Mike, I'm just <laughs> waiting, holding my breath. For Maybe this is one of the, he'll tell you. Maybe this is one of those things we're talking about before the show. This might be what, it's not that bad. I love it. I was going to say this might be one of those things we edit out of the show. Um, it's not that bad. It's really not. But my conspiracy about country music is that it's it's a big ploy to romanticize struggle and like the working class and make them content with their situation. So you get these like rich a holes like sing about like you know working on your tractor and you know struggling to put food on the table and then people listen to it and they're like yeah that's me I feel good about what I'm doing. It's just all a big trick to make you feel content in your in your struggle. Well, they make millions. Yeah, it's a giant psyop to to trick the the working class into staying where they are. I think it's a fun conspiracy theory. Absolutely. Not actually, you know, in all honesty, I don't think that's unreasonable because it had. I mean, people had that happen over the years. Yeah, it's just propaganda. Interesting. Yeah, and it <laughs> would be, even if that if we assume that's true, then we could also. It's not that. Okay, so like as an artist, an Americana mm. artist, I could be like, "Hey, man, not me. I'm the real thing." But yeah. Uh, they got you. They got like they I got could you. be subscribing to yeah. that whole machine. You yeah. know, I could be just like, oh, emulating uh, what I think is a legitimate mm. expression uh, of yeah. culture. Yep. You know, because then you have some artists out there who might not be as popular as they could be, who are kind of throwing, you know, a curveball to that, mm-hmm. where they're bring. I, I think Tyler Childers, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's talking about the coal mining industry a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. West Virginia a lot, about the corruption out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's obviously very popular, but he's definitely bringing up some some issues. Yeah, he's those guys. I will say, like, I think they call him like outlaw country, like Tyler Childers, Coulter Wall, um, Cody Jenks is another good one. Let's. I want to compare. I want to compare some numbers on Spotify here. Really oh yeah, it'll be interesting. so. Just so Ty, Tyler Childers is getting up there. He's, he's very popular. Seven million monthly listeners. Coulter, I think, is closing in on two. Last time I, I feel. Good because three. Found, He's three point one. I found Coulter as he was probably mm-hmm. like a quarter, halfway up that popular. You know, he was line. like nineteen when he put out his first album. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I think he was born in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, he he talked about back- Josh Turner is four point three million. I mean, these yeah, guys are very popular, but well, I want to look at Luke Bryan now. Oh, Fuck yeah. Luke Bryan. Yeah. <laughs> he, I hate 8. him the most. Eight point one. 
8.1 million. But even like, even these guys, if you look at like some of like, you mentioned like Ariana Grande, like some of these people, yeah, Jason Aldean's 8 million. Um, you know what threw, threw me a, a, compared to who's like, who's the most popular. I saw a video of Willie Nelson pop up my social media feed the other day. Ariana Grande has 64.3 million monthly yeah, so listeners on Spotify. Nothing compared to that. Like, Stuff drives million. me crazy. But, but here's a, okay. Here's another angle on this. So I found a video of Willie Nelson back when he was probably 45, mm-hmm. real young, back in Nashville wearing a suit. Uh huh. Yeah. In the Grand Ole Opry mm-hmm. in a very proper manner, and that was because that was what the Nashville executives expected back then. They country was fit. really different. Yeah. So they was, wanted him to fit yeah. in that very traditional country role. And then eventually Willie was like, I'm done with this. And he kind of went off his own, own direction. Yep. But then that's a whole nother angle of it because now the kind of more chaotic, edgy, I mean, Nashville's a mess. It's cool to go there and visit, but it's a hot mess. So it's like, I imagine Nashville back when Willie's wearing a suit being mm-hmm. very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever been in Nashville? Yeah, I have. I'm yeah. sure. I, how would it, how could he have not? I just asking. That? I don't. I, 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 <laughs> oh, you I, know, I haven't done a whole lot of traveling. Like I, I don't know. Man, uh, there's a there's the context in which music exists in society, you mm-hmm. know, and like it's really. I've I've thought about them guys a lot. Like what happened in this way where the counterculture produced like Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, all these like rough guys at the same time, and they changed like the landscape of music mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. that. For that amount of time yeah you know and that was just a flash in the pan of many changing landscapes mm-hmm. but if in the greater context it's like for a time period it was the outlaw shit mm-hmm. and like the 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 anti-corporate look mm-hmm. that people loved and then like the 80s happened and it was it was a different vibe uh in country especially when country was kind of in a dip of popularity uh but then the 90s came around and like a whole different whole different like subculture mm-hmm became the mainstream in country. And this happens all the time. Um, I feel like the 2000s came through and just like washed all the grit out yeah. of it. What I don't understand is how, when like we, back then we didn't really have other means like we do now for like alternative radio and shit. Mm-hmm. So now I don't understand how the industry remains separate from what I think of as like, the true music fans, kind of what they dictate. I think of Tyler Childers and Coulter Wall as products of real fan yes. sort what of we, selection. Yeah, what we like grassroots. Grassroots movement yeah. compared to somebody like Luke Bryan where they're just like, this is the new piece of shit that we're telling yeah. you to like. We and can sell this. Like, we'll package it up. Okay. That's that's a good way of saying it. This is what drives me crazy. Like artists like like Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, like it's just it's just what you're being force fed or like uh, Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. can't stand Ed Sheeran. Not because it's like it's not, it's not really bad music, but it's, it's like, to me, Ed Sheeran is like one of the most boring musicians out there. It's yeah. like, it's just, it's, I can't even articulate. It's just like, it's so nondescript. There's just nothing special or unique about his, his music. I can't, but he's like one of the biggest stars out there. And it, like, I think people like him because that's what they're, that's what they're handed. The, it's the, not, it's the opposite of grassroots. Like I think it's deeper than that though, because I think where we have culture wall and higher children's, I think those guys are holding a standard for themselves. And I, I think they are actually choosing to not go a certain, just yeah. to a certain place. I think some of these other artists are allowing themselves to leverage things like psychology and science. Because when you look at the way that a lot of these songs are designed, they're made to hold the attention, evoke feelings. And it's down to the science of 
the beat in the background, the time how long an note. intro is. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Just like marketing is like, we know, look at that, look at that listener count. Is that, does that just like almost 80 million, 79.2 million listeners I mean, listen to Ed Sheeran every single month. A huge place, but what I'm getting at is if, but if Tyler Childers like, has seven, if they're <laughs> leveraging. No, it's exactly like what we're talking design. about. Like it's, it's, it's marketing. It's, it's, like it's it's turning it into business. So we're talking about the spectrum of like art versus business, right? So it's like I think the people that we're saying science, we like yeah. it's more it's more leaning towards the art, and then we do the business that we need to do to make it sustainable. Mm-hmm. These guys have completely abandoned the art, and it's all business, which is it's taking it towards like machine. It's a, yeah, it's well, that's that's machine. what I'm saying, and that's why it's frustrating. And like I like if people if Ed Sheeran was this is kind of like a it's a I guess circular reasoning, but it's like if Ed Sheeran was not mega famous, if he had the kind of numbers that like Coulter Wall or mm-hmm. Tyler Childers has, nobody would care. I don't know. I don't know how it happens, like how it comes first, but the people like Ed Sheeran because other people like Ed Sheeran. Okay. So do you want to, do you want to talk? I don't know if I'm articulating that properly. Okay, if you can look at how like someone can go from being like, um, original and true to their culture and stuff. And then moving to this machine, of a marketing, you know, this me- marketing mechanism, mm. then what's the next step? What's going to happen in the next five to 10 years? And if we go into this conversation, we're going to give away a little bit of our secret unfair advantage in, uh-huh. our, in the marketing world. Do we want to do that? I think it's fine. Everybody knows about it. Oh, yeah, they don't finding but... out about it. But it, you can hmm. start about, start talking about the conversation of where is music going to go in the next five to 10 years using artificial intelligence? Yeah. Because that as a marketing tool. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, well, plugging yeah, into I mean, the conspiracy aspect, that's an interesting thing to ponder too. Like, uh, like, what happens when something like music, when something like an industry like art becomes that mega huge of an industry, mm-hmm. you do wonder. You do wonder sometimes. Like, there, there's bound to be uh, people. I don't want to come across as too conspiratorial either, but there's bound to be people who Let's do it. It's your show. When they <laughs> when they like to use media like art, mediums like art, uh, and like music to influence culture, there's bound to be people doing that with mm-hmm. mainstream music. And what like when oh, somebody yeah. has yeah. seventy million uh player plays, you know, it seems to indicate that the industry is like prioritizing them above somebody mm-hmm. like Tyler Tyler Childers. Yeah. If, if some, if anybody in a power, a position of authority or the, the, their life goal has been to maybe let's say positively impact large amounts of people, and in their mind they have something that's going to make a positive impact, why wouldn't they leverage every tool available to them, whether that's visual, audio, or whatever it might be? Why would why wouldn't they? Well. I don't even think it has to go. I think pro- you're you're right. It, it probably often does go there, but I don't I don't think it necessarily has to. I think it can be just as plain and simple as just money, right? Sure. So yeah. it's like, um, you know, kind of weird, unique flavors of ice cream are never going to sell more than, you know, mm-hmm. vanilla. Right. Just plain vanilla ice cream. It's like so once you have, once you have the ability to push something out, we were talking about like staying niche to kind of get started. But once you're way past that. And you have the ability to reach lots and lots of people like being general and being palatable to more and more people uh, is like, it is better. You're going to, you're going to make more money faster. Uh, I think, I think that's all it is. They they just take these artists and are like, okay, you're saying that that's turning off this whole subset of people. Stop saying that. Say this instead, because, um, you know, the show community, Mm -hmm. you know, okay. Do you remember, 
Um, do you know the guy who like he started out as Subway? He was like this corporate entity in like human form. Do you know? I'm, I'm very familiar sure. with the show. I have no idea what you're talking about. So, I'm so confused. I'll just let you go. This I like. <laughs> this is my my wife and I have like our comfort shows. I was like, I don't like watching new shows a lot. It's like if I find something that I really like, like The Office or Parks and Rec or Community, like we just rewatch. I've probably watched Community like five or six times gotcha. all the way through. Um, but there's a the school adds a little kiosk and they add uh, a subway shop, and they like Subway as a corporation figures out that they can like make a human like a corporate entity mm. so there's a character named subway and he's like the he has to you know he has to live out all of the the standards um or the beliefs of the the corporation so uh but they like he disappears at one point he comes back and he's doing the same thing for honda so it's like really it's it's really clever marketing on the, like the actual shows part like you know i'm pretty sure it's it's the most uh, what are they what do they call it? It's like product product placement. placement. It's like you know Michael Bay does this with like Mountain Dew and like GM and all this, but it's like it's the most clever product placement I've ever seen because like they just make a, a big joke out of it. It's great. But I see. Um, but he's representing Honda in a much later episode, and uh, the girl he's dating says something bad about the movie Avatar. And he's like, no, 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 don't. Say and she's like, she's like, we have to like Avatar. He's like, yeah, of course, we're not monsters. We like the things that most people like. We love Avatar. It's like, that's kind of that's with these musicians. That thing. It's like, yeah, don't say that. You're turning off a whole set. We like the things that most people like because you know, we we don't want to push anybody away. We want to make lots of money. Yeah, with your face. This but, is a conversation we've had about our marketing business. It's like, how do we brand ourselves? Mm-hmm. Do we are we just mm-hmm. acceptable to all, or should we? I'm not saying ostracize a particular subset, but should we be a little bit more, you know, should we identify a little bit more with a particular crowd? What do you think? I, I think we are leaning towards, we want to be acceptable and attractive to people within a certain industry. Not to say it's like, region. you don't want to be like, you don't want to be offensive. You don't want to say something to like tear somebody down or like, you don't want to be offensive to anybody, but you, you can choose to do or say things that like cause you to, I typically, this is always like a double-edged sword, right? It's like, you can say something that you really makes you identify, um, with some people and then other people aren't going to like, like, uh-huh. even like in terms of like, you know, religion or politics or, or, you know, likes, dislikes, whatever. Um, yeah, this, this is a double-edged sword. It's like, you can, for for every person that you you push away with like you know speaking in generalities like you know unless I came up with a specific example, um, it's hard to just kind of like speak about it generally. But yeah, it's like it, I have a good example. I think you know we were talking about you know this marketing strategy of if you have twenty um, percent of your clients are the most high value clients, yeah. right? And you want to whittle down to using the same approaches that you did to acquire those twenty percent. You find out what is the common factor. What we have identified so far as our common factors, all of our clients really like the idea, oddly enough, behind Fort in the Woods, which has a certain set of values mm-hmm. at its core. Yeah. But in our region, our neighbors and our you know people around us mm-hmm. really identify with it. And it's yes. not exactly connected, but this idea of being outside, raising your kids to be, you know, self-sufficient and adventurous and creative and having something, you know, resemblant of a moral compass is striking with people and they're, they like it. And then what they do, they watch the videos, they get to know us and then they go and they're like, Hey, why don't we work together? So I think if we leaned into that, I'm not saying to, you know, 
a crazy extent. But if we embrace that, I think people are going to identify with it even more and feel comfortable with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you guys do any research or whatever on like brand personality? Mm-hmm. As far as in what, when what, how do, you, how do you mean? Like, yeah, I mean, it's that some of what you're talking about sounds like to me, like that's what we're getting close to talking about. Uh, I think of it in terms of like, there's a couple of people who, diff- who use different things, but a common thing I've seen is there's a personality wheel out there for marketing purposes. Mm. And what they do is like kind of identify a key desire that a certain uh, demographic might want, a personality oh, yeah, might yeah. want. Yeah, for and sure. And it's broken into like a couple different archetypes. So like what you were just talking about, the adventurer, like we can get really narrow into like um, people who see a brand that represents adventure mm-hmm. to them. They are seeking, if I'm correct, I think it's they're seeking paradise. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a, that's a value you have in common. It's like looking yeah. for appreciating this paradisal mm-hmm. sort of existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you guys have been talking yeah. about, you know, love and outdoors and stuff. That's probably part of what that is, you know? Yeah. I think, I think what they call this, like identifying your, uh, like customer avatar. It's mm-hmm. like you're trying yeah. to like, which I want to talk about this in relation to, like our two podcasts. I want to come back to this. Mm. I want to make sure we don't. Yeah. I, I told you on Instagram, I was like, make a note of like the sponsorship thing. Cause you mentioned like That's trying right. to sponsor. So it's like, I wanted to talk about this. Um, but in regards to like Fort in the woods or, or, you know, siege engine, um, I think the way to concisely say the thought about the double edged sword thing, it's like you could do something and that might chase one person away, but it might make another person identify with you even stronger. Exactly. You just got to make those, you just got to make yeah, those choices. Um, so, yeah, we've had these debates as far as some of our uh, some of our content, which it's it's. I mean, it's okay to talk. So, my background is in um, like summer camp. It was, it was like you know in college and a little bit after I was working on an outdoor summer camp, and we did you know like canoeing and archery. And one of the things that at this particular camp they offered was uh, like riflery, is they would do like little twenty twos uh, for the kids, and I would teach that class. So we've talked about that on Ford in the woods or like, you know, do we want to do any content? Like, do we even want to touch that? Do we want to do any content with right. guns? Cause, cause that's polarizing. It's like people have really strong opinions on that both ways. So do we want to do content on guns and we're going to push away this whole subset of people. But on the other hand of that, it's like, if we do, you know, some, some very you know basic videos on gun safety that might make another subset of people identify even more. So it's like, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's basically the that's basically the summarization of that that debate. It's like, which do you do? But going back to like the niching down thing, I've heard people say, and this is with like any type of content, you want to identify that customer avatar so tightly that when somebody finds your show or your YouTube channel or whatever it is you do, they're like, there's somebody else out there that thinks just like me, mm-hmm. like, and they get excited and they're like, oh, I've I've had this in my head so long and I've never found the way to articulate it, and they just did. Like that's what you want to do. You want to have somebody identify it super strongly, and that's what we're trying to do with uh, with Fort in the Woods. We want like a very particular type of person who's trying to raise their kids in a particular type of way and be like, I can't believe this has been out there all this time and I didn't know about it. I'm just not finding it. Yeah, also like, with the podcast, the yeah. podcast it should be the same thing. It's yeah, this exactly. community that someone wishes that they had. Mm-hmm. They're going to stumble upon it and like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. Yeah. I needed this. Yeah. Yep. A- absolutely, man. I mean, I, so when I started, you mentioned, you, we had talked about the fact that, that the, like, our, I, I think you used the word controversial when we were talking about like mm-hmm. our two different podcasts and what we would talk about and stuff. And this one is on the more controversial side because I lean mm-hmm. into certain of those 
divisive subjects. Mm -hmm. And likewise, it was sort of like, I've been so terrified of doing this, especially because a few years back as a musician, I think I sacrificed some stuff when I started Mm -hmm. being outspoken about like my religious views or lack thereof. Uh, I, uh, I had a spell where I was like, just, I really had it in for religion for a while and mm-hmm. wanted to be like negative toward it. And then, and then I saw that society did the same thing and, and that, and then I just learned more. I changed my perspective. And so I was like, okay, I'm changing back and that's fine. But I think I lost some support from some people mm-hmm. over those years, you know? And then now I'm in this thing talking about all sorts of controversial mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, it was funny. I met this person they'll never know about this so it's fine but um i met this person who has this motto this like philosophy of unapologetically being yourself you know Mm -hmm. and i was like yeah that's fucking cool and i i do believe that's what you were just talking about is like there's a question of do you unapologetically be yourself or do you withhold some of that so that you have more reach with more people i i've decided with this i was like yeah i'm gonna fucking do that be unapologetically myself mm-hmm. it just so happened that that person who preaches that message was supposed to be on this podcast i think probably saw my my comfort with controversial subjects mm-hmm. and my position concerning some of them and then decided like that my version of being myself was not something she wanted to be around or whatever yeah that's a bummer because i really want i like everything else mm-hmm. about her brand and like her philosophy uh, I think we probably have in common, except for maybe a few exceptions, but something about my being myself made her say, well, we're not compatible with mm. as brands that can, that can coexist with each other and, and co-collab or that can yeah. collaborate or cross promote each other. Yeah. But like you were talking about, like that was for me, a, a sacrifice I had to be willing to make in order to actually do what this podcast is supposed mm. to do. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if if that's the brand is like talking about difficult things, then yeah, that's going to be. So I, I think people need to be more gracious with this, certainly on a personal level. I understand it gets messy when you're like trying to mix like brand and business. Yeah. And sometimes you can't have that crossover. But like when it comes to like person to person, like I, I think people need to get a lot better about uh, like being too. willing to have discussions and like talk about tough topics without mm. like uh, – I've one, one thing that's like, as, as I'm getting older, one thing, um, I think uh, way back to the beginning of the show, we're talking about is like, I, I tend to be more like analytical and very logical when I was younger. I wanted everything to be very like, you know, packaged up and Canada is like, here's this, here's this, here's this. And Clean I found, borders. yeah. So, uh, I found like, as I get older, I'm seeing that more and more fit somewhere in the gradient. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, and, and I think, I think you can have uh, like different things can, can be appropriate for, you know, one person or it's, it's correct for them to hold that view and not maybe for a, I don't know if I'm talking about like in a religious sense. I think it's like at some point you have to have something that's true. Like yeah, you, you can't have, you, have like multiple, control. multiple yeah. conflicting things cannot be true right. at the same time, mm-hmm. but you can see things from different perspectives. And there are some things that, that can be true for one person and not true for another. Um, yeah, it's like you. Know, yeah, usually things probably, uh, probably exist somewhere, somewhere in the gradient, and I think people need to get better about like being able to talk through stuff without getting angry. I think um, so too. 
I think and, there, are, there are absolutes and there's lines you have to draw or you have to make a stand like I believe yeah. a certain way. But I think there's a there's a ton of room for diplomacy and nuance and empathy. That's like, if you're empathetic, you can a lot of times come. You can sit down with somebody, have a good conversation, and mm-hmm. find out what's the reasoning for. Usually, people process. have more common ground mm-hmm. and have a common goal. Um, usually, if you just like you sit down and calm down, like talk it out, usually you can find you have more in common. Uh, with somebody than you would think. That's not always true, but I think I think it is true a lot. But use the word nuance. That's something. That's the other thing. In like, in in the world of you know tweets, which I think is like I don't have a Twitter account. It's like 280 characters now. I think so. It's like in the world of tweets and like short form videos and TikToks, everything's about sound bites. Like politicians speak in like goofy little statements, hoping it goes viral. Mm. And it's like that's just not a good way to have. Like that's not a good way to to come to like a consensus as a society is through like fast sound bites and like little little snippets so it's like Absolutely. use the word nuance it's like i want to have you know it's like make make nuance great again right it's like have <laughs> yeah. have, dis- have discussions arrive at conclusions be willing to talk through things it's and no like, wonder don't. things are so chaotic because we want to communicate in three paragraphs but you think back the way diplomacy used to happen people would spend six months in another yeah. country over you know multiple long conversations figuring yeah. each other out everything's just so fast yeah. now it's just chaotic uh it's, it sure I think is it's dangerous I think it's dangerous. Have you guys ever, uh, like, I want to go back to this. So let's remember to go back to the sponsorship thing. Yeah. But have you ever had major perspective shifts? Have you, like, like changed your whole fucking worldview on an issue before? Um, Not not a 180. I think I've moved more towards the middle. Yeah. Um, If I have had, like, a 180, it'd be very short-lived it'd be like a little burst maybe it's like i've heard some of your story about like your your opinions on like topics of religion kind of had from what i understand just like from the the bits i've heard from the show it's like you grew up in a more fundamental environment you had a uh, big shift where it's like you uh, do you do you identify as an atheist at this point is that i don't go around saying it uh sorry if i wasn't supposed to not at all. So, not at so, all. I don't give one fuck. Okay. Uh, I, I, I don't like, you started talking about like nihilism in like one of the recent episodes I was listening to. So that's yeah. a, that's it. So from like fundamentalist, like biblical, right. To like nihilism, that's a pretty, I, I mean, and I went full atheist too. And it, yeah. and it was over a long period of time right now. Yeah. So it's like you, you jump from one to the other and then you're maybe drifting back. It's like, I don't think I ever had like that big jump, but it's yeah. like, you know, Politically, like we we grew up, our parents are you know uh, conservative, politically conservative, and and I grew up that way. Yeah. I was like in high school, I was very like you know, and now I'm like, eh, I can. I don't know if it's like I, some of my views have shifted. It's like without getting into specifics, I don't know. It's like some of my views have shifted. Some of them haven't. I've just softened on them, if yeah. that makes sense. I think like trying to empathize with the other side and stop seeing them as the villain. Right, that's really important because like truthfully if I have a position on something and I know what the opposite position is, like I, I can try, like I will try to understand it. And I think I can, like I can be like, I can see where you're coming from entirely. And I don't think most people do that. It's like, I can entirely see where you're coming from. I just, I just happen to disagree. Yep. Um, that's a, so, that's a crucial skill. Well, here's, here's something that I, I've been thinking about. I just had a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody on this point is if you have an issue with, with another perspective, and you want to be absolute about it. Mm-hmm. You could lose the long war because mm-hmm. you want to be absolute. But if you were to simply make an exception for, you know, three to 10% of your, your belief, 
and say, okay, I, I can give a little ground on this. You can come to a common ground, mm -hmm. I think, and make some progress. But a lot of people yeah. won't cave at all. But if you had that, I don't know, if you had the ability to to make some, I don't know what the word is, but if, yeah, compromise. Really. Let's compromise Let's a little bit, yeah. And a couple of thoughts. I was like, when I have conversations like this, like, my brain is like a tree, like branching off. It's like, I get it. you know, and it's like, I forget which branches I want to come back to. Um, as far as like trying to see other perspectives thing. So it's like, um, for the majority of my time in college, I went to this small Bible school and there was one particular, like one professor in particular that I think made the whole time there worth it. Mm. So obviously everything is being taught from like a Christian perspective, like a biblical perspective. So that's kind of like the root of what we're talking about, but you can have like, you know, there will be different ideas like within, within that context, not saying, you know, yes, Bible, no Bible, but it's like, right. You know, I don't, I don't know how familiar from like back then it's like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a general example of this. It's like, you can have different like theological systems. Like, um, there's something called dispensationalism, but like, I don't know how much I want to get <laughs> talk about whatever, <laughs> man. Um, but basically he, he could, he could take an idea and say, here are the four, uh, generally here are the four ways that scholars look at this, this thing. And he will say, I take, um, I personally hold number four and I'll back that up in a moment. But first I'm going to tell you the first three and why I disagree with them. Mm -hmm. And he would, he would fairly like articulate what they, uh, what those other three positions held, but he'd be like, I, I don't hold to those for this reason. And here's why I hold this one. And he would make the case. Yeah. And I loved it. I didn't have, I didn't have many teachers that, that taught like that. Um, and it was, it was great. So it's like, I, I think that's, that's a proper way to, to approach things is, and you know, don't straw man it. Right. Don't be like, this is what they think. And it's ridiculous. It's like, Absolutely. I think he would, he would fairly, um, cause he changed my mind on some stuff. You know, it's like, I would, I would hear my position laid out and something that he rejected. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. That, um, I wish I knew exactly the right language for all this stuff. You know, I, I don't know if it's behavioral psychology or mm. if it's neuroscience or what, but what I, I mean, I notice that skill that you're describing is incredibly important. And mm -hmm. it was a big part of how I navigated the story that you were just kind of like retelling of mine. That's like, I, the way I saw it, I was like, okay, I've got a view that I think is absolutely a hundred percent the right view. Mm -hmm. And everybody who doesn't have it is condemned. And then I shifted to a different view and I was like, now I've got an actually 100% accurate view and everybody else who doesn't have it is condemned. And I did that with like two or three mm -hmm. different belief systems. And I was like, why do I keep doing this? Like, why do I keep yeah. being, why do I keep latching onto these in a way that's so absolute and not nuanced and yeah. not like flexible? And that was, you know, that was where I landed and, and started to criticize that in itself was like yeah. that style of believing things and trying to challenge myself to, instead of do that, discover this different way, this way of existing with multiple different belief systems mm -hmm. without being in conflict necessarily with myself and, and not lying about mm -hmm. what other people are. Like I, I used to be just really dishonest. I think about like what religious people are like, yeah, that's a, that's a form of straw man, right? Where it's exactly. like you're building them up to be, something that they really aren't so you can more easily tear it down exactly so and that that's a to nobody's benefit right it's yeah like, it, it's if just you dishonest if you disagree with something like really like you're passionately disagree with it then like 
if you think it's wrong, then you shouldn't need to make it weaker than it is to prove that it's wrong. It's like show the world for like, it is what it is. And then, you know, build a case like why that's not, uh, make it as strong as you can for that matter. Yeah. Cause it's like, so if it's, I mean, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Um, like things that are truly wrong, you don't need to straw man them. It's like, absolutely. uh, So all this being said, I want to be clear. Like, I don't, I think the modern way of thinking is some form of like relativism, right? Where it's like your truth can be your truth and that's true for you. My truth is my truth. Again, I don't buy into that. I think there is a true thing somewhere. I might not have it. You might not have it. It might be a third option that we're not even talking about. I don't know. So that's, that's where my mind has shifted some where I'm like, I have some percentage of the truth and it's my goal throughout my entire life is to get closer and closer to that hundred percent of the truth. I don't think like, I don't think anybody can ever get there mm. completely, but absolute truth does exist and it is out there somewhere. I don't buy into this, this idea of thinking was like, there's no such thing as absolute truth. It all depends on your con. It's like something's true. So have, yeah. have you seen that thing where it's like the light is coming from three different directions and it's like, there's a triangle on the wall, there's a circle on the other wall. And then on the floor, it's like a square. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have mm. you seen this? Uh, illustration I, of this i can grasp what you're talking about and i think i know what you're talking about i don't know if i've seen exactly that so yeah so it's like you'll have the floor like one wall and then a second wall and there's like a different shape on the end like look this is how truth is like this person says look the shape's a triangle yep and it's like that's true for them because that's their perspective and then this person says it, no it's a square and that's true for them because they see the square but i'm looking at it, i'm like well you have some shape that's casting all the shadows. It's not that the square is true. The triangle is true. Those are all pieces of the truth. Right. But they're like, each person is missing 66% of the equation. What's absolute truth is whatever that object is in the middle of the room, casting those shadows. That's what we should all be trying to figure out together. That yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not into the relative, the, the relative, assumption either Mm. uh in philosophical terms it's hard but in just like in practical terms that's where Mm. i get the most frustrated with it because it's like we've we've taken it to a goofy place where like we can't agree on what any words symbolize anymore you know like we it it, basically just the dramatic ones that kind of like make a difference or at least vilify people or Mm. not it's like this word means this, this word means this. And there's, there's little micro battles for like 12 of those words that mm-hmm. keep us from being able to even like people on the right or left side of the spectrum, being able to even like uh, address a problem accurately because yeah. the words are so complicated. We can't even get to a major, major issue to have a conversation about because we can't agree on, you know, the, the little tiny thing at the start of the conversation. Yeah. So yes. Busy. Yeah. To be able to have a conversation, you have to have, some level of agreement. Yeah. You have to have some consistency on something. And like language is a big part of that. It's like, what do words mean? Language we, is the tool we yeah. use for so that. If exactly. we can't agree on that, then like, how are we going to have, have a conversation? Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't like words themselves aren't objective. You know, they're, they're a symbol. They're a, they're a linguistic symbol, but like mm, just mm. accepting the nature that we have to try to at least agree with each other on what these words symbolize in Mm -hmm. reality, like what their, what their physical embodiment is. Can we just agree Mm -hmm. on that so that we can understand whether or not we're describing the same thing? And I I don't understand this weird Thomas Sowell said something, something about the truth. Like the very, that was what it was. It's something to the effect of the very concept of truth belonging to a, 
person to a to an individual mm-hmm. denies the concept itself like if something is true it would have to be true for both you and I for either of us to be able to conceptualize it as true if you have your own truth and I have my own truth and it can't be shared then the very definition of the word doesn't exist anymore it can't be personal property is what he said yeah yeah so like that kind of if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, that's kind of what I was saying about that shape in the yes. middle of the room. Like you have your context and your perspective. That's the, I think that's the word people use. It's like, well, that's true from my perspective. It's like you have your, your context and your perspective and that's a piece of the truth. Maybe it might be none of the truth. You might've just made something up on your own, but yeah, uh, yeah it has to, yeah, it has to be, it has to be shared. It can't. And like, this is, this is so basic, right? People like, you know, the topic of, religion people will be like well everybody's like people want to believe in this some sort of uh relativism where if you just believe something hard enough like somehow it'll all work out but like most most religions are like, are like exclusive of each right. other right it's like you know uh they can't like you know if your religion okay so you have your thing and you say this is true and you know it's just it's open and it's all relative your truth your, you know your truth can be your truth much but if my religion says yours is a lie, like then that, that breaks down immediately. Can my religion still be true somehow? Like if it just rejects yours, how does like, how does that relationship work? It just, right. uh, well, you have Islam Judaism and Christianity immediately all contradicting each other. So yeah, they all, they all say those, like, those are like, you know, monotheistic, uh, monotheistic religions. that believe in like one God and reject the others. Um, so, and then they say there's a God. So it's like, if you, you know, and I think some, I think some Asian religions can coexist because they come down to. Yeah. A lot of, sex. a lot of Eastern religions, it's, it's about like self and like, you know, God is either um, within yourself or out there in everything. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's not this like one entity that is true. So mm-hmm. I think like, I think there can be crossover, but if you have like, just saying there is a God and then saying, well, there is no God. Like God doesn't exist at all. Like those two things don't, don't line up. They can't both be true. Like, have you ever uh, looked into pragmatism or did you ever hear any of the episodes where we talked about pragmatism? No. So if I, I'm, I think I'm familiar with it as a concept pretty loose. I don't know. as like, if it's a like defined like school of thought or philosophy, I don't know. So one definition of it, as far as it relates to belief, is something like pragmatism is rooted in that which produces life or that which produces like flourishing. Okay. So then sometimes I think, you know, these ideas that we might have about God, like statements about God, this is what's true about God, this is what's true about God. It's like the pragmatist pragmatist view might be like if you're in – a if you're in an environment where like a bunch of religious people will hate you or murder you or kill you if you deny the existence of their god yeah then the pragmatic thing to do would be to not do that so that you stay alive mm-hmm. um the, that would be the tr- the truth that you're living out is yep. that it's best to not uh it's best to not make enemies of like masses of people that might want to murder you or whatever Yes. So that's like the truth within that drama. Uh, it's not a, in. I think the way I understand pragmatism is it's not about our limited expressions of what we think is true. It's more about 
living in a way that doesn't result in your own demise. Yeah, so that that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like saying things on the record and as far as your business and your That's brand. That's damn right. It's it like, sure does. <laughs> so it's like I might believe something personally, but I'm not going to attach it to my business or my brand because it's not it's not of my it's not to my benefit. Not not like you don't want to go through life like lying about who you are and what you think. But it's right. like sometimes it's just like it's not useful. Well, like, it's tough. You know, yeah, I mean, I know musicians that believe I don't want to give people any reason to not like my music, and I feel very much different from that. And and like I think other musicians that I admire do as well. They're not worried about those who yeah. won't like it. They're worried about finding those who well, will like it. Yeah, that's like what it. we said. It's like if you say one thing that chases somebody away, you might just cause somebody to identify even, even exactly. more with you and get a, get a super fan well, out well, of that. But within you, reason though. Within reason like that's that is a hard line to walk and I think I don't know how you how you develop that as a skill set to like know what the difference is. Cause you can certainly say something that just like is career ending and just shoot yourself in the foot. See, here's a, here's an and, example you could make. For instance, I know people who have had exceptionally negative experiences sur- surrounding alcohol. So based on those experiences, we could go out and be like, I am very, you know, against alcohol. And that's all we could, we could really harp on that. Mm-hmm. And then we could get zero business with all these breweries in Winston because we're so anti-alcohol, even though like the thing is like, just because we've had a bad experience or we know somebody who had a bad experience doesn't yeah. mean we need to take that line and make it an extremely forefront thing in our business. Mm-hmm. Even though in theory it could be a positive thing for some people, it would I, be in our better interest to not. Is there, is there a difference between like actively saying something that you don't believe to be true versus just keeping your mouth shut and just not choosing to not say something and be like, I'm going to keep this, like, I'm going to keep this private. I'm going to keep this out of the public eye. Cause it just, it's, I think there's a spectrum there too, but I think that I've heard it. One, one phrase I've heard on that, that I liked was that if you have something to say, silence is a lie. And I think I relate to that mm, sometimes, yeah. but only sometimes, like yeah. sometimes it's best to, it, we always have to assess where we are in a certain situation. Like if if I disagree, if I disagree with my boss at Aperture about something and, and it's like, well, I made this video and you wanted it to be different, but I pictured it this way. She's the one that pays. She's the one that pays me. So it's cool to make that sacrifice and not like be too egotistical about yeah. it. But there are times where my ego is right. And like what I'm doing, what I'm serving is myself and my vision. Mm-hmm. And when I'm serving myself and my vision... I think it's right to say what I think, you know? Yeah. It's okay. just time and place. So along with those lines, and this is where you might come to like an ethical dilemma down the road, or we might, but if you have something you feel ethically obligated to yeah. talk about, whatever it might be, if you achieve a large audience and you have the capability to reach what you could consider the masses and you, you control influence, then you almost have this strange ethical dilemma of do you cause that you need to kind of sabotage yourself and be outspoken or do you hold your tongue and maintain your larger audience mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's a tough conversation because you were talking about somebody who did take you know they took the higher road maybe and lost some of mm-hmm. some of their audience members yeah i mean it, my my vote in recent history um i mean when when the Joe Rogan controversy was taking place, mm-hmm. I thought he handled it correctly, which was to not he 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 acknowledged which controversy specifically. The uh, he's had 
The one where <laughs> people the, no kidding. The I guess the concept where people wanted him off of Spotify because he was because of what he was talking about and the okay. argument was he's got a large enough platform that I think is justified that he shouldn't talk to people this way. Maybe that's fair. I could be wrong. All I know is I felt his main his maintaining I I all I know is he was doing what he has always done, talking about what he always wanted to talk about. And I don't, I don't sign up to the idea that if the mass is upset and mm-hmm. wants to take this powerful person down because they don't like what he's saying, yeah. that that's a good idea. I think fuck that, and I liked that he stayed true to his course and kept yeah. having his conversations. I think people should be free to speak. Yeah. yeah. And they- this, this is one of those things that I think I've, I've approached the gradient a little bit more on, mm. to be honest, because I used to be like, yeah, like, like no censorship. Yeah. Whatsoever. But like in recent years, you have people saying like the the example that's popping in my mind is like the whole thing with Kanye West recently. Right. Like, should he get to like, come on, say this? Because like, I used to be just hard, like 100%, like no compromise. It's like, yes, he gets to speak and the the, uh, the marketplace of ideas, so to speak, will decide, decide his fate. And see, people if I reject it. Platform, but, I would say, I, see, if I was a platform owner. I would be like, I wasn't even, I wasn't even talking from that perspective. So it's like, yeah, if you own the platform, you are to some, some respect, you're responsible and saying like what we're thinking of Alex Jones or like YouTube. Well, I'm saying like the platform. Yeah. So like YouTube, Twitter, whatever. It's like, does, does the owner or the people who are controlling that platform have some level of responsibility and the consequences that come out of what people say? Right. But see, the thing is, I don't want to, I don't want to come across as judgmental, but I think there are there are some people who are more impressionable than others. Like some people for sure. Some people are thought leaders, some people are thought followers. And I think when I was younger, I used to I used to have a lot more confidence in people being like independent thinkers. And I just don't know if that's that's true anymore. So if Kanye yeah. West is up there saying his crazy stuff, I'm like, he might be like like not emboldening people who already thought thought that way, because that's you know you're going to have crazies out there and they're like, going to be like, yeah, I agree with him. But like, but changing people's minds yeah. and he's a big enough figure that it's like, I don't know. Should we let now, him say stuff? Like now, that? I don't want to be the conspiracy theorist, but when you have companies that get large enough where they are, they're at a scale as large as some small countries. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you have business that are absolutely enormous and their influence spreads across yeah. the entire world. So you, you have businesses that essentially function as countries. Yeah, they, I mean, so, they're, they're, yeah, their yeah. revenue is bigger than so you, yeah, in, in a sense. And th- there has been, you know, over time, people have talked about the fact that, you know, eventually perhaps corporations will run world governments to an extent because of their level of influence. So you almost have, you can have the conversation of, are you having censorship? You call it a corporation, but in a sense, sort of a virtual government of, sorts yeah 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 i see i think i see your point where it's like because people say a a defense or some people say against free speech and like free speech the first amendment protects you against the government right not necessarily other individuals or companies Mm -hmm. like like the government can't go after you if you say some crazy stuff in my house and i don't like it i can tell you to leave my house right that's not a violation of your first amendment but like the police won't come arrest you. Yeah, for exactly. It. So that's that's the difference. But to what you're saying is eventually these things grow to such high levels of power and influence. They like There's who no has more power, the country or the yeah. 
Um, right. So, but like if somebody got gets banned off Twitter, that's kind of like taking them out of what we consider right now an important public square. Or all yeah. six. You you know? they, Especially when it's a public figure or like an official figure. Yeah. Like, uh, I, you know, Donald Trump getting kicked off of Twitter when he was a sitting president. It's like that seems. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's that's, you know, not to say whether or not I agree with him or disagree with him. I don't know if I. Like, I don't know if I'll be, but you know, I think it would be, but like, it is, it is weird that like a sitting, the president of the United States was, I understand is like, he would say some, some, you know, uh, inflammatory stuff, but, but still like, you know, the president of the United States was removed from the public square. And that's a good example of what I'm talking about. These, um, in a way, these social media giants Mm -hmm. supersede government. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it bizarre though, that you can remove influence from the president of the United States. You yes. can move some That's of what I'm saying. Hat. So they made it yeah. so he was not able to address the public. And he was not see, able to address the up, public in the same way. I would be just as upset if it was Biden. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. Biden, That's what I'm be, saying. I don't want to yeah. get into it because I don't like I same. It's, it's not no it's problem. not it's not a it's not a political thing. It's just like the principle underneath I want yeah. I want like I think the biggest thing that's really hurting us right now is team politics. Is people don't it seems like most people don't believe anything. They just believe what their team, what their team tells them to. So like they'll get up. So back to the Kanye thing, I would see people like defending what he was doing. It seems like he didn't say that. That's, that's ridiculous. He didn't, I would send them a quote and be like, he did like, he said it word for word. This is what he said. And they'd be trying to defend it because somewhere, somehow along the line, like Kanye got put on their team. So yeah. they have to play the team. It's a team sport right now. And it's like, and that is so dangerous. Uh, and it's like, it's just, it's nonsensical. This, this, well, this goes back to like the moving towards the gradient. It's like abandon the team and actually believe what you believe yeah. and back the guy who represents that regardless of what, you know, whether they're red or blue or whatever, just like back the guy who you actually agree with. Well, you, you hinted at something that I think is true for a lot of people. That's like concern about other people's commitment to thinking like an individual. And I share that. I wish I could press a button and make more people think like an individual rather than a follower of Mm -hmm. sorts. But the question then is like, which principle do we want to operate based on? Do we want to operate on the principle that we assume, Mm -hmm. we assume the best for each individual and say, you know, we... We have to we have to trust that your path and your judgment is going to lead you to where you most want to be and and respect the autonomy you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Or do we say you're a threat to your own autonomy? You're a threat to other people. Like your your lack of ability to like choose a, a an intellectually thought through position is like too it's too dangerous to allow you to express it or whatever. Yeah. And I just have to I have to err on the side of like I want to maximize everybody's autonomy. Yes, I, I yes. don't want to take it away. Ultimately, the more, the more you give that, the better at it people are going to be. Yeah, and the more you babysit people, the more well childish I think people are going to be, and the more dangerous it is so, to let people. Yeah. That being said, the flip side of that is if you if you want to like restrict that and some then you have to figure out well who gets the power to restrict yeah people so i think fucked up (laughs) then that that takes you down a really dangerous path i think you have to err generally you have to err on the side of autonomy like you say now that being said you're saying like just expect more and more people and they'll get better and better at it i don't know if that's necessarily true either i think a lot of this comes down to it comes down to society and education and like what are we expecting of people and this 
that's society. What I'm if you te- if if you educate people with yes. the mindset of these people are going to be self sustaining in a sense, yeah, they can stand on their own. If you train people from the beginning with that in mind, I think they are going to be more capable of this. It comes down to like expect like what do we expect of people in like their thinking in their work. Uh, this comes down to entertainment, like what kind of stuff, like music, movies, like what images and thoughts are we filling our heads with? Um, and, and unfortunately, like these shifts take a long, long time. I think an individual can change, um, you know, over the course of, you know, months or, or years, like society takes decades yeah. to shift. Um, but just like the way, I don't know, you know, that's a, that's a big question, but it's like, I think people just generally think less uh just you know we have so much to keep you know our our minds occupied with it's like people don't read like they used to because they're just like that's all people had to do they didn't have video games and just movies at their disposable and just endless tv to watch yeah so it's like what else are you going to do other than than learn things and now it's just you know you don't learn you just consume you know what's been causing me to do a lot of like heart searching lately casey and i are watching uh survivor Hmm. and uh, we're watching survivor i'm like i think it, it appears that everyone's actual like ethical buyout price is about a million dollars apparently because <laughs> i know it's just a game but man it's it's really weird watching people who like this one lady's like a boy like boy scout um god or whatever she's she wore a uniform and it's like these people are like backstabbing line i know it's just a game but man it's it's crazy because i'm thinking like if i went on there like dang i like these people are looking at each other in the eyes like the one dude is like i swear my grandmother's grave that like I'm telling you something true. And his grandmother, yeah. he's like, Yeah, my grandma's actually sitting back like watching Jerry Springer. She's fine. Yeah. And I'm like, man, what would I do in that situation? You want to talk about like your ethics and how good they are. What would you do if you were on Survivor? There's <laughs> <laughs> a million dollars. That... Yeah. Tough. How how much does it take to get all that stuff to go out the window? And in the public yeah. sphere too. You're literally on national TV and it's cost a million dollars like just not even like you're getting a million dollars, just a chance at a million dollars. And you're willing to abandon all these very core, yeah. like don't lie, don't steal. Mm-hmm. It's like out the window at for the chance of a million dollars. Yep. So really like we're not that grounded. Yeah. No Everything, kidding. Everything's very fragile. Yeah. And, and that it's like, I guess like it's survival, like it's survival and people are, I guess, aren't in that great of a situation. So they're willing to grapple for it. So, survival is a powerful instinct. Can you imagine for- how that would? I was thinking about the impact of being on that show for business. I was like, if you went on that show and people were like, I'm going to give you this money, and then you go on there and you play a really tough game and you trick everybody and you mislead everybody and you get out of there, it's like, I would honestly have trouble doing business with somebody mm-hmm. after watching them. Yep. You know, especially like you're watching one guy. He's like, Oh, I got five kids to feed. I want to win this money. And then you got the dude who literally just got out of college. He's throwing the dude under the bus. And I'm like, no, that'd be yeah. tough. Yeah. Well, I'm with you, but to play devil's advocate, sure. what it. if what you were looking for was you wanted your business to be, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're both nice guys and you're like, we need to become more competitive. Exactly. Yeah. What if, the guy you had at your disposal was like the most ruthless yeah. competitive. I don't give a fuck about being honest or whatever. Yeah. I'm here to win. You know, does that guy offer you a, an advantage that you don't have already? Yes. Because maybe. you're too nice. Yes. I would be concerned of like what, 
what deal is he making with like a competitor? Is he going to play like the double agent game where he's going like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, but, but, it's, but you're very right. That no, he, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but it, but yeah. See, okay. So here's now you have another one of these double edged sword situations. So I could go in and be like, yeah, I'm going to be super ethical and I'm going to play a clean game. But I have, let's say I have a kid and a wife at home and we need money. But I'm going to be clean and ethical, and that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I neglect my ability to actually take care of my family properly, and I throw away my opportunity to buy my kid food and shoes. Mm-hmm. So have I done? Now I've done one good, but really yeah. wrong. Which one outweighs the other? Yeah, like you. And you know it's a game. Yeah, you know it's a game, and you know other people. You don't know if they're going to be playing a clean game or not. So far, the the most vicious, but wholesome thing I've seen on the show was the dude Rupert. He's got this big wily beard, tie-dye tank top, and the other team like brought their bucket of stuff up on the beach. Like they're gonna go out in this village and bottle stuff. And everybody drags their stuff off the boat, puts it side by side, and then one team runs off and Rupert's just sitting there. And they left all their shoes and all their stuff. And he's looking at it. He's like, this is a game. I'm a pirate. And he's just like super like almost childish about it. He steals all their stuff. <laughs> he takes their shoes and he takes all their shoes and goes out in the village and trades it for food. But it was like he had a good heart about you it. You said that was the most wholesome thing you've yeah. seen. <laughs> yeah, to, to really do, because in a way he's playing the game well, but at this and he does something, but he doesn't have this kind of vicious mindset about it. Uh-huh. Like he's like thinking about it. Like he's like, yeah, this is a game. Like they left their shoes. They shouldn't have left their shoes. I'm gonna. He's like, we're on a pirate island. Literally, I'm gonna just be a pirate. And he took him, and he was laughing about it and smiling. And it, you could just tell it wasn't coming from a bad place. Mm-hmm. He had a good. Yeah. There's other guys on there who were like. I don't care about this person whatsoever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them out so I can get this money. Yeah, and I don't know. Like maybe it comes down to like your approach. Like I think attitude is a huge yeah. part of it. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, oh shit, I had a thought. What was it? Um, well, I think it was about attitude, ruthlessness, uh, mm-hmm. uh, game playing. That's a thing, I guess. That it's I'm somewhere right around it. I think it's something just like sometimes to produce success. Yes, our ethics have to get challenged, and maybe ethics are hard to maintain all the time, you know. But success will often come at the expense. Like, I mean, think about sports, man. Sports are competitive in nature, and like ordinarily, what you're taught ethically is that it's good to cooperate with other people's mm-hmm. goals, you know. But when you're playing basketball against somebody, you're absolutely trying to stop them from getting anything they want. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't do that normally in life, but in the context of that game, mm-hmm. it's like the only appropriate thing to do. It'd be mm-hmm. unethical to let all your teammates yeah. down by like not trying to take that role seriously. Yeah. This comes back to, like I think we have to live within a gradient because we could be very... Mm-hmm. Being black and white in, in things can actually make you cruel and unethical in other ways. Just like I said, I was talking about like neglecting your family by being too absolute with something. Right. Yeah. You have to figure that gradient out and, and do what's what's right to the best of your ability, but you you can't be absolute. So I guess there's responsibilities that come with certain relationship dynamics, mm-hmm. and like in other ones, you you sacrifice certain ethical norms uh, in the name of other, you know, relationship responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I guess we, I, I hadn't really thought about it exactly, but yeah, I, I guess that's usually true. It's important to know, it's like in the context of basketball or survivor, it's, you know, it's a game. It is like a winner takes all, but in the context of like work or business, it's not 
Um, I think the way people phrase it is like, it's not a zero sum game. I think is what people say. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not like you get all of the pie or none of the Mm -hmm. pie. It's Mm -hmm. like generally, usually there's, there's enough for everybody to have. It's like, you don't need all of it. You don't need to just because somebody else is winning doesn't mean you're losing. It is possible for two people to win uh, in the real world. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you don't need to squish people to, to uh it's like we're in the video and photography business that's a big part of what we do and there's plenty of video people and photography people in winston and it's like there's enough for everybody yeah mm-hmm. there's not for everybody yeah. uh, and with business deals there's plenty of room for negotiation and talking to figure yeah out. it's like there there is definitely situations where it can be a win-win like everybody and that's like ultimately that's how business should be done it's like everybody should come out of a negotiation or like enter a deal where it's like everybody feels like they won yeah. and not like they put something over on the other guy. It's like, Oh yeah, we all like, that's how business should be done. If we have a good product and we are doing something that is of value to somebody and they exchange money for that willingly. And they're like, Oh, you helped us out. That was fantastic. And we got money out of it. And like, that was fantastic. We loved it. That was great. Mm-hmm. Then it's like both parties win. Nobody put one over on the other. And it's like, we both come out of this being like, good. We're happy about this. Spe- speaking of getting money out of people. So, yes. Sponsorship. Yes. I, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were when we first bre- broke. Yeah. So, um, talking about like niche and who you're, who you're trying to reach. I want to ask, you mentioned, uh, on one of your episodes, you said something about, like, we're trying to get, like, let's get a sponsor on this thing. Yeah. With so, the contra- the great controversy of the copywriting. Okay. So yeah. I want, I wanted to ask, um, like what kind, what kind of sponsors are you going after for this show and why, why those people? Good question. I, I've only approached probably five or six uh, mm-hmm. thus far. Each time I did, mm-hmm. I said, I know that we're not at a scale that's like mm-hmm. usually where people start to look for sponsorships. Like my audience is much smaller than what I would like to have to offer you. But if you would like to, you know, sort of yeah. be a part of our story of progress, you know, then you can be. Um, I went for brands that I thought had. Honestly, the the common denominator was like North Carolina brands uh, okay. because I felt like it was, it was like, well, this this podcast has sort of started out about the North Carolina community, mm-hmm. the North Carolina art scene. So maybe I will think of it as a as a as a way to appeal to people who care about that sort of local yeah. uh, support type of thing. So I went from local brands like Broad Branch Distillery and uh, like like. I don't remember who else I reached out to downtown, but small independent, gotcha. small yep. businesses like that. I reached out to like Wrangler and Cheerwine, like mm. just and everything in between, just like large and small businesses to see if anybody would be interested in gotcha. kind of playing that role. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, you're thinking about it more than I think most people do. I think when you're, when you're talking about sponsorships and like looking, uh, to score something like that, um, uh, I think you got to start lower with your show. Like not, not as far as who you're going after. I'm saying like uh, a couple steps below that, as far as like before you get to that point, deciding who you're going to go after as a sponsorship. Yeah. So as far as like niching down and like, uh, who is your target audience? Like what is your audience made up of? And once you have that question answered, then you can say, okay, what kind of products and services would be beneficial to that audience? And then try to get sponsors off of that. So yeah. on our show, it's like we're we're not going after all of Winston. Right. We're going after the uh, like we're not even going after the established businesses in Winston. Like we're going after the people that want to grow their thing. 
right? So either it's like a side hustle, it's not their full-time thing. They're very, they're very young in their journey. Not like not young in age, but like young in their, their yeah. business owner journey. So what kind of services do those people need? They might need some help with bookkeeping. So it's like, let's try to get a bookkeeping service to sponsor the show. So we can say, Hey That's audience smart. who like, we know who you are so we can identify what you need. So, uh, like, yeah, who is like, who's the target audience of, of red house. I know it's like generally like art minded, like thinkers. It's a very broad show. It right? is so it's like you're, you're talking about a lot of topics. Yeah. So, I, one word that comes to mind is music enthusiasts or like mm -hmm. local music enthusiasts, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, uh, and I've also started to notice something about like the creatively curious, something like that. Yeah. People who might be, uh, I, I want to put out a message that like, Hey, do art, yeah. choose art instead of politics is yeah, kind of yeah, the yeah. message. And so maybe that's a thing to build off of. Yeah. So it's like, I'm, I'm wondering what kind of, what kind of services or, you know, products either local or not, like what would be beneficial to those people. So it's like, if you're talking to creators, um, are you familiar, familiar with like mixer space? Mixer downtown? space. It's like, is that what it's called? It's yeah, mixer. Mix, is it mixer, mixer space? Or it's just called mixer. mixer. Like Martin Luther. They're into Liberty. It's, it's like on the edge of downtown. It's just like, they have like saws and pottery wheels and laser cutters. It's just a space for huh. like creators, mix, like makers. Um, I don't, one of our friends spends a lot of time there. Um, I need to go check that out. But if, yeah, it's a, it's a cool space. Um, I don't think but, of Duncan Music. There's repair shops all around. Like those would be beneficial people for. Yeah. So so in, yeah. So if you're like, okay, my my audience is creators, people who make things, they're artists. Then you can start thinking what businesses in town would be beneficial for my audience to know about, mm -hmm. and you can set up some sort of deal and be like, let me send people your way. Um, and I think once, once you figure that out, and you kind of get that established that increases your leverage when you're talking to the potential sponsors. Cause then it like the numbers don't matter as much because it's the, it's not just people, but it's the people that those businesses want. Right. Cause your target audience is their target audience generally. So you create this symbiotic thing where it's like, and then there's different models you can do instead of it just being a flat subscription fee, you can create it. So it's like lower risk for them. So like, Hey, I only get paid if I can send you, like a uh, you know a customer that converts, but um, see, I'd like to talk with people surrounding Innovation Quarter, where mm -hmm. you have a lot of these uh, incubators, yeah, and startups, and if we can find the people that are running uh, and driving that forward, I would love to be a precursor to that for people, like when they are just entertaining the thought of starting a business or yeah. preparing to quit their nine to five. It's long before they're going to be going and starting a uh, a startup and going to the incubators. But if we can find the people that are, you know, essentially I want to be the people that are like kind of just that inkling of an idea, yes. pick those people forward and then they're going to go to the startup. Yes. So if we can find somebody who wants to sponsor our podge, uh, podge, our pod show, pod show, podge, pod, hodgepodge. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> Never mind. No, if, if we can get those people to put some money into what we're doing as an investment in the people, yeah. that would be the game changing. Yeah. So like I was listening to this, um, this podcast, it's about like growing podcasts and getting it's kind of meta, but it, uh, he was like, he, he has his target audience and he says it in every episode. He's like, this is the podcast, um, for the, uh, the podcast entrepreneur who has already started and wants to grow and monetize his podcast. Mm. Like very, very specific. So it's like, I want to have my listeners. They need to have these three characteristics for me to be talking to them. So he, uh, 
but he said, he's like, you know, you might notice you don't fit all of those and you're still getting value from it. So, so I was listening to it. It's like, yeah, I have a, I have a podcast and I want to do it as an entrepreneur. I want to do it as a business venture, but I haven't started yet. Like I'm just figuring out what I want to do. So I didn't fit one of his criteria. Um, but I was still getting value from it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you reject people. Like if they're listening and they, they partially fit the profile that you've built, but not entirely, you don't like throw them out. So if we're doing a business podcast about businesses in Winston, if we have a listener from like Virginia or Greensboro, we're not gonna be like, this show is not free. Like you're not catering to them, but they're still going to get value out of the show to some, some extent. And that might be where some of our, uh, advantage comes from in the context that, Jacob's talking about is like, we will have some sort of value to these incubators in Winston. Cause they're like, Hey guys, we have reach outside of the city and we're trying to frame Winston. as just like hotspot of entrepreneurship. And like, it's very business friendly city. If you partner with us, like maybe we can pull people in and like, you know, mm-hmm. it can become the symbiotic thing. Um, I think Winston has something yeah. really unique. And this is, we've been striking this conversation up a couple of times with different guests. It's, uh, I feel like there's something special that is lingering from the Reynolds era where you had these very wealthy benefactors who literally built a village up around their home and it employed people. And I think there's a, a degree of uh, inspiration that's happened and maybe even been passed down through the generations. Um, kind of this unique situation. Yeah. And, uh, I think Winston is unique for that. So I, I don't know if that's actually like a psychological thing or a, I don't know what you call it, a geographical thing with Winston. Where mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah. Do you guys know about Flywheel? Yeah. Have, yeah. You, uh, have you ever thought about like trying to get an office space down so, there and doing um, all that? Yes. Uh, so Flywheel used to be down uh, yeah, we're in, a, in, in the innovation, innovation quarter. Yeah. And I went there a couple of times when they were down there. But now I know they're at the 500 West building. So... Um, yeah, we, we want to talk to some people over there and potentially uh, talk to them about this sort of thing. So right now... Um, There's also Spark. Spark's, Spark's a new yeah. one. I think they've launched. So we are actually recording our show in a much smaller co-working space. It's very similar to Sparker Flywheel, but it's a business called Launch Tower. And they have an interesting model where their main business is it's called a Lighthouse Small manage, or a Small Business Solutions. And they provide like accounting services or bookkeeping um, payroll services to small businesses. Mm. So they had the idea of opening like a co-working space and then their the packages that they sell, you get the office space, but then you it pairs up with everything they do on the small business solution side. So they're a little more hands-on with the people in the space. So right now the podcast is being recorded in their space. So I'd love to talk to somebody at Flywheel, but I feel like at the moment that might be the thing it might be well, a little conflict. I was about to say, is Larry shit. is Larry passing you like some side money to give him free plugs on a podcast? No, he's not. That was a, it's good, like they, a good plug. Yeah, sorry. See, that, that's uh, a, no, no, that's a, so fine. they like we've talked to them about like sponsoring the show, um, and they I, I they don't might. I think they would do it if like we ha- we don't have like any signed paperwork with them. We'd be like, hey, if we bring you a client. But the thing is, it's just like it's a really cool space, but like they just they don't have the capacity. That like flywheel. I think like if you went there and you you open office space, I think it would be to your benefit. Uh, I think it's a beautiful because it'd be space. more hands on. It's, it's great space. Like it's been great for our podcast because like we're in a, the corner and you can see the uh, Wells Fargo building out to the right window and you see the Reynolds building and the Winston Tower. And that rooftop yeah, it looks the nice. Like that rooftop yeah. access. It's like is we've fun. gone on top of the roof to film content. It's like it's super cool. Um, you need to throw but, shit off the roof. 
Yeah, uh, people, people. I'm not going to admit to anything on, on, on record. You should get, you should get your, your flame thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, it's funny you say that. I actually asked the guys. I said it would be a great publicity stunt if I could put that up there yeah. and get a, like 360 degree shot with the drone. And I won't throw anything like, like Minas Tirith and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like they yeah. have the trebuchets on the on the and wall. Hell, yeah. You know, it would be on the news. It would be great. Yeah, but yeah. Great might get in some trouble, stunt. but but uh, fuck them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That thing, has, <laughs> yeah. that thing has been so much fun. We've had clients come out, just come out to our office, and we have the trebuchet set up in the field above the office, and uh, we've had them bring their families, and we'll take them out there, and the kids all get to pull the chain Love and it. throw you know 16-pound iron weights across the field and smash stuff, and uh, it's, it's a yeah. lot of fun. So do you know do you know somebody at Flywheel? Is that uh, what you're asking? Well, I went through the I went through the um, velocity accelerator. That's okay. like uh, like okay. by some of the same people, you know. Gotcha. And okay. I, it was in that building, nice. and it's a very cool. Like they're doing some cool shit yeah. down there. I don't really understand all of it, but uh, my temporary roommate, like he's mm-hmm. in the mix with all that because he won our accelerator. Nice. So he is like got free office space in there for a little nice. while. And he's very working cool. out of there. And, very cool. Anyway, it seems like positive vibes, but I don't mm-hmm. think they. Like they're a little more. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, I don't mind saying the wrong thing, but they're a little more. I don't think they have a ton of like um, creative creators in there. Like they have creative entrepreneurs in there that are doing yeah. cool shit. I know that there's like a musician in there that yeah. does some shit, but anyway, I don't think they have a podcast happening out of there. I'd like to talk to them and see see what they would be open to. Because yeah. like either either from like a sponsorship perspective, or if we could do the show up there. I don't know. Cause like we don't, I think we have a lease on the space that we're in currently and that runs out eventually, you know? So it's like, we will be moving at some point um, or just re-upping the lease. Not really sure. Yeah. But um, you know, there's so much potential with the podcast. There is. We don't want to limit ourselves just cause of like where we started. We don't want to say, Hey, we started here. So we're, we're going to stay here. No need, we have yeah. this relationship. So we're going to maintain, like stay with this relationship. And like, those guys are great. Like we've made videos for them. We redid their website. Um, so like they've been customers of ours, we've been customers of theirs. They do our payroll and our bookkeeping stuff, but it's like. But if you look at the landscape of podcasts in Winston Salem right now, there's there are a lot of podcasts already that talk about business. But I think the way we're gonna be discussing business, the altruistic motives we have yeah. behind it, I think the right person or right group is gonna get behind this, and then really yeah. we're willing to go where the support is. So uh, some, as long as it fits. Some of the other shows that they they function more like a magazine they say like here's what's here like here's what's going on in winston like we want to say like oh yeah here's how they did it like replicate replicate what they're doing um, i'm with you on that and yeah. that's part of the red house thing yeah. too it's not so much about uh yeah i don't know like i i i'm it's about embracing what new media is and mm-hmm. being more detailed yeah. uh than just being like uh ah, you put out a music you yeah. know so i'm yeah. i like that for sure uh yeah so that's it so i'd, I'd definitely be uh Actually, I'm going to, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. I don't want to date it too much, but it's like I, sometime next week, I, um, I'm going to be going to some community event at Flywheel that somebody invited me to. So cool. we'll see who I, who I bump into. Cool. Cause yeah, it'd be, inc- it'd be incredible if like they either give us a space to get like semi permanently set up. Cause that's kind of what we're doing right now. We've attached like the sound panels and everything to the wall. Or it's like our, our podcast setup can like, it's really easily mobile. Like it can all pack into like a nice little crate with wheels on it, which is nice. Um, so it's like, if they just give us a space, you know, a couple times a month and next, you know, we could pop up, do our little show and then get out of their way. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to talk to them because I, I think there, there could be potential there. Um, so, and I think we're, we're very close to getting our uh, sponsored drink 
Oh yeah, set up. Hopefully, which is yeah. gonna be fun. Well, congrats on that. I hope you. I hope that that. I, I hope, hope so. that works out. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Uh, and it's good. The we'll good see. thing is, it, it's really good beer. So I'm excited about yeah. that. Um, yeah. We'll yeah, see. I need to get we'll something see. figured out here too, and maybe I'll maybe I'll hit y'all up, text you, consult you, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I I just. I don't know. It hasn't been my top priority, but I do want to start thinking about sponsorship. It's been a yeah. year now. I'd yeah, like I mean, to get this, something figured out. Yeah, this stuff, it's not its not free. Like, it takes time to produce this stuff. So, but I, I think the main thing, like any exchange of, I don't want to say the same word twice, but like any exchange of value, right? So if you're asking somebody, hey, send value my way, like in the form of compensation and form of money, it's like you got to be giving something back. Yeah. So if you have that audience that they want to reach, then they have a reason to do it and it's and uh yeah i'd be really interested to know more about your audience analytics and and their age demographic how many of them are musicians and and figure that out and that would really steer you in the right direction as far as figuring out who are we going to approach who could we offer or who could you offer value to yeah there's there's two ways of doing that either you can say here's who i want to reach i'm going to start making my content around that person and start like pushing the needle that direction. Or you can mm-hmm. look at your analytics and say, well, who's already here. I'm going to shift my content to, so it was like four in the woods is like the original audience was uh, the kids, like the boys. It's like, we want to go after kids in like the, you know, 10 to 15 age range when they're like, they're old enough to go and do their own thing outside, but like they're not driving yet. So they're still, you know, like playing out. That was the original intention was to like almost create like summer camp online yeah. um, that has shifted to now like we're, we're catering more towards the dads and saying, Hey, here's activities you can do with your kids. Um, because that's like on YouTube, that's just who we had. It was like our demographic was like ages 24 to like 40 or something like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have the kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not even close. So uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be yeah. interesting to see who, who you already have. Like, uh, yeah, I might, I might have to do a little bit of reporting on that and see what, I, cause I haven't really paid attention to it for mm-hmm. the last couple of months. And yeah. I might, I might ought to just check in on that. And just watching your show as much as I have, I've already, you know, gained some extra knowledge about and, and awareness of several different music venues in Winston. Hell yeah. So, I mean, I think there's something right there. I think if people are coming across your podcast and they're musicians and they're listening, it's like, if I was a musician, I would already been like taking down notes because I'm like, okay, yeah. who now I know who to call. Mm. It's like I'm gonna be using this as a resource. I'm gonna start yeah, using this like as maybe a resource some of the uh, start playing. Yeah, some of the venues. Yeah, like not not like certainly like your mind goes to the big ones like Ramcat or or whatever. But yeah, like if there's like bars or restaurants or like albums, you know, CD stores or something that wants like live musicians in there, you could be like, see now I'm starting yeah, to think. Yeah. Okay, so now have every guy in, in town who ever has live music, every restaurant, mm-hmm. like Bailey Power Plant is yeah. always having live musicians on. So that becomes a resource for your, your musician audience. Mm. So it's, I mean, you can, and then, yeah, and then you're, you're going to become a resource. Yeah. Hell yeah. To yeah, take this even, to make this more complicated than <laughs> it needs to be, you can make, you can make a website. With all the all the people looking yes. for artists in Winston, you could be like, "Hey guys, go to theredhouse.com slash venues that need artists." Okay. And, okay. So now and you, pick okay. your venue. Well, yep. well, hang on. So now you make that's it, probably too far. But well, no, no, no. He, he takes this and makes it actually. It's like a subscription. So he has a Patreon, <laughs> and then he actually has it. So anybody in town. Yeah. So he has a curated list of artists that he has vouched for, and yeah. those are going to provide quality music. Mm-hmm. He has them on a list. And then he has a vendor list. So either can go on and mark themselves as active. And then the people in town with restaurants can mark themselves as searching. And then 
he will have a hub that controls the music scene. You're gonna be the you're gonna be the <laughs> Uber of musicians, the Uber and live of, of music. Winston Salem yeah. music. You're gonna be the the, the guy Fuck. who makes it happen. I did once want to do something like that with yep. a uh, a house concert website, mm-hmm. and so like musicians who wanted to play house concerts and people who would host mm-hmm. them ran into some things. People like certain you know the hosts didn't want their address on the website, shit yep. like that. So yep. kind of got abandoned. But yeah, I mean. I, I like those ideas a it's lot. Idea. I am I trying to think about ways to uh, diversify the way that Red House informs people about what's happening musically, and so uh, I so I, I appreciate I those thoughts for you sure. Could, you could lean into it for sure. I will say this: like in that note, I have I have not like anybody you talk to who's in the music scene in Winston knows who you are. Mm. So it's like you might already be halfway there as far as like being the guy to help make it happen. It's like, I know the artists, I know the venues I can help bring y'all together. And if I can get, find a way to get compensated for it, then awesome. But yeah, like, yeah, we were, uh, we were talking to Tucker, Tucker and like your name came up. We interviewed Andy Tennille on our show, um, a couple months back and he mentioned your name and I was like, I know who that is. It was like everybody, everybody who has anything to do with music, like knows Tyler nail at this point. That's what I love about Winston Salem. Uh, it's a small enough community that like, there is a lot of that. And yeah. luckily I've been doing it for a long time here. So I do have a lot of those, but you know, even if, even when somebody new comes up, it's sort of easy to notice and be like, mm-hmm. Oh, who's that guy? Like I, who, I, this is the third time I've seen him post about, playing at Ramcat or yep. third time I've seen Ramcat post about him and, you know, kind of put that little world together and it's fun. I like that about Winston and we've tuned into the same thing. It's just big enough. You can have, you can kind of disappear if you want to, but if you do enough, you can, you can gain some notoriety. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's really yeah. fun. Well, fellas, um, I feel like we covered everything there is. <laughs> We this covered was, a lot of good shit. This was yeah. enjoyable. I, I like this a lot. It was great to have y'all. Um, yeah, thank you. Let's I appreciate the dog too, dude. <laughs> I can't Which, believe. Yeah, she's so I wish like our podcast had a, a podcast. She loved you. She, she was just like, asleep, "This is where I'm supposed to fell be." Sleep on his lap, basically. Funny thing is, so like my my friend was here, and it just my, marble there has never been allowed on the couch until today. Uh-oh. And uh, she had a friend come over, mm-hmm. and it was just like too much chaos, two dogs. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to try to enforce the no dog on the couch thing. So she's just loving that. She mm-hmm. got to make friends out of y'all. Mm-hmm. She's she's feeling she's blessed. Cold. Taking like advantage of the uh, loosening of that rule for sure. Yeah. Maybe we'll add that to our little, podcast. I want a little wrinkly forehead. <laughs> All that extra skin. I'm sorry. She's, thank you for up. sitting with me. She's such a star. <laughs> she really likes you, man. Yeah, Look at that. Cool. She's in cool. love. Well, um, hey, thank you guys for yeah, coming for out sure. here. And I guess yeah. like we're gonna collaborate more on podcasting, and yeah. then uh, yeah, I want to have I want to have you on our show uh, and talk talk more about yeah. I'll be like, glad to. And then I, I mean, I want to have y'all over here again. So. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. for sure. Thank you so Stay much. Yeah. Thank y'all for being here. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm.